Welcome to Just Ahead Podcast. My name is Adele Dujardin, teacher turned life and leadership coach with a passion for helping others live a life that is happily theirs. Through interviews with folks five to ten years out of college, you will hear how they have carved out satisfying careers of all kinds. Here I speak with Karishma Matwani to learn how after graduating from Rutgers University with a degree in communications and finance, she is years later host of the podcast No Thank You Please and an equities fund team leader at Bloomberg, a financial services company in New York City. Enjoy. So we're here today with Karishma Matwani. And Karishma, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really curious to hear what you're doing. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm Karishma Matwani. Right now, I am a team leader at Bloomberg LP. Bloomberg LP is a financial technology firm. We provide mostly financial data to our largest clients are basically firms on Wall Street. Um, And we like to say we we provide transparency to the financial markets. My role at Bloomberg is currently I manage a team of data analysts. So in particular, I manage a team of people who cover um, stocks in the U.S. that are in the retail and technology industries. So companies like Nike and Apple um, and Amazon, all those companies, all their data surrounding those companies, my team handles at Bloomberg. So were you a data, data analytics person yourself? Yeah, my my sort of like the short career that I've had so far has been very interesting and a little bit, a little bit all over the place, honestly. So I, when I graduated from college, I had a degree in finance and communication and I've always been really interested in finance, but when I was starting to look for a full-time role, I knew that I didn't want to go work at sort of a traditional bank. So honestly, I didn't really know what options that left me. But a classmate of mine actually in college, I just overheard her talking about how Bloomberg is the Google for finance people. And what she meant was all these tech people, they strive for careers at companies like Google. Well, these finance people, they strive for careers at Bloomberg. And honestly, I didn't know much about Bloomberg. So I just kind of looked it up and I was like, sure, I'll apply to an internship. And what intrigued you? I feel like there was something about the comparison to Google that intrigued you. Yeah, and, and so the that conversation also intrigued me because, you know, Google is seen as this company, I think I think most people sort of see Google as this company as a, a disruptor in the market where people go to to create big new technologies, but not at the expense of, of having that work life balance. And that's what really intrigued me about yeah. it, I think. So yeah, when I looked up Bloomberg and I found the same thing, that was it was a, a definitely a positive sign. And how many years ago was that when you started to look for a job out of college? That was around the time I was looking for an internship right before my senior year. So that was like early 2016. And I interned, yep, I interned at Bloomberg in 2016. And then when I graduated college in 2017, I came back for a full-time role. And what made you want to reapply? Yeah. So my internship experience, I had been like a busybody. I like when I'm not working, I felt really uncomfortable. And the internship at Bloomberg was unique because it wasn't just about, you know, you come in and you get work done and you go home. 
and it wasn't, and also wasn't the opposite extreme of that, where it was all culture and projects and, and no real indication of what the full-time role was. And so because it was a good balance at Bloomberg and everything they told me online and in interviews and at info sessions held true regarding work-life balance and innovation, that's what really came, got me to come back. It wasn't even necessarily the content of the work or the data itself. It was the, it was the culture, how authentic it was, and the fact that I had an experience that I felt would be replicable to my career at Bloomberg overall that really solidified it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what's interesting is you talk about transparency that they provide to companies, but it sounds like they're also very transparent in communicating who they are to their employees and, and delivering. Absolutely. Yeah, that transparency facet is something that we hold very true mm-hmm. to, to, to really just even our internal culture. So like a fun fact about Bloomberg is every single one of our conference rooms in our offices has clear glass walls. There's no like white like walls at Bloomberg because they want to encourage passer buyers to be able to see who's having meetings. There's no such thing as a real closed door meeting, right? Because you can see the screen, you can see the people there. You can see sort of the body language and the tone of people in those meetings. So it holds true in all aspects. Yeah. And what effect does that have on you? I mean, obviously it made you want to come back and you've stayed there for how many years now in your, in your role? So I've been at Bloomberg full-time now for almost three years, Mm -hmm. and I've been in my current role for about a year. Why does it keep you there, that culture? What does it do for you? Yeah, I mean, I think right now actually is a great example, right? Like we are in the middle of a very long-term or semi-long-term work-from-home situation because of the coronavirus. And it's something about the, the emotional intelligence of the middle and upper managers at Bloomberg where at the end of the day, it is about your well-being, your safety, your happiness, and your ability to contribute to the business that matters to them most. Um, It's not about like, yes, every business has targets, has deliverables to me, and that will never go away. But it's more about how are you contributing to those targets? Are you being innovative? What skills are you learning? How are those skills going to help you in your career? And and pretty much every like one-on-one meeting that I've had with my managers throughout the last few years there's, there's a section in that one-on-one that talks about that, right? There's a section about projects and deliverables, but there's always a few minutes of the one-on-one that talks about, how are you feeling? Do you feel like this is contributing to your career? Do you feel like you're contributing to the business? I know you are, but if you don't feel it, let's talk about it. And I try to do the same with my team now, and I think that that has a lasting impact on people. And it gets them to stay even despite some, some hard days, as any job will have, um, and some tedious work, again, as any job will have. It's that that really keeps people around, I think. Yeah. So you're in this managerial role, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. But first, can you tell us what your first role was with them? Yes. So after my internship, so my internship was in the same department. I've been in the same department the the whole time, what we call our global data department. So when I came back full time, I was a global data analyst, not covering a particular data set the way I do now. I was an analyst that one would call basically a generalist. I took client questions over live chats about general Bloomberg data. So how do I find this data point? Do you cover that data point? How do I look up a bond? Things like that. I was in that role for about six months, um, and it was a very short stint because someone who was previously my intern manager had since been promoted to be a, a manager and noticed that when I came back full-time, 
he really wanted to bring me on to his team. Um, and I had every interest in going back to his team, which was where I interned. Yeah. And what do you um, think he, he saw in you or your work that allowed for that promotion to happen? Yeah, I think, you know, with, with Bloomberg's transparency also comes its lack of titles. Every entry level employee in our global data department is called a market data analyst. But that doesn't mean that every entry level employee does the same thing. And we're very, you know, we're very flexible in titles, like where we allow people to call themselves project managers and leaders, informal leaders and whatnot. And I think when I was an intern, I really bought into that. And I, you know, set up my own meetings and I met with my own business managers and marketed my own projects, like a little, like kind of like I was already there full time. And I think that initiative is what really, what really impressed him and honestly has been probably my biggest strength throughout my career here. And that can be hard. Like a lot of people, I see now a lot of people come, you know, out of college into our entry level roles. And that's the hardest thing that they have to deal with. They're like, what? I can set up my own meeting with this high up business manager. I like, I can present my own work without going through you. And it's, it's a major culture shock, I think. And so having someone that kind of understood that culture, I think was a benefit to him. Yeah. And so you're saying some people undergo kind of hesitation, um, an adjustment because it's a paradigm they're not accustomed to. Yeah. And what, what about you is really good about initiating things? You know, would you say you're confident? Would you say you're just willing to experiment? You know, help us out here. Yeah, I would say it's, it's my confidence. A, a friend of mine kind of jokes sometimes that like, I could be going the total, like totally the wrong way while like walking to a restaurant or like on the highway, but be so confident that I'm going the right way that like they'll question, even if they know the right answer, you know, they'll question themselves and be like, what, am I wrong? But yeah, so yes, I think it is my confidence. And I also think it's a little bit how a lot of my family is in finance and a lot of my family in addition to a lot of my family being in finance, a lot of my family owns small businesses. So I've always been surrounded by people who have either had to really like work hard, power they, their way through, fight for what they want, or by people who are managing tons of other people for years. And I'm one of the, I am the youngest cousin of like 50 something cousins on my dad's side of the family, right? So I've always been around people who are older than me, more experienced than me, and are business people at heart. I think that had an effect on me growing up and I kind of just, I matured quickly and because of that have a, a level of confidence. Yeah. And I'm wondering what people who maybe don't have that experience or don't have that level of confidence, what wisdom would you impart? Yeah. So, so one thing that I say to my team members now who kind of struggle with that a little bit as well is at first, if you're questioning why certain things are happening, if you're like, hey, that workflow doesn't make sense, or that comment that person made just doesn't, I don't get it, doesn't make sense to me, it doesn't seem intuitive, find a respectful way to question it. So before you go out and like make your own meetings and like go like, you know, rule the world, the first step you can take that doesn't necessarily feel as intrusive or as powerful, but still can empower you in the same way is asking hard questions. And then that will help people build up their credibility, their confidence. Once people start to kind of respond to you as like, oh, wait, yeah, you know, you have a point that helps you build up that, that confidence in that environment. And then slowly the, the, the sort of eagerness to, to lead in your own way will come. And I'm also thinking, too, as you describe your family members, your, your very large family, people <laughs> People can find role models themselves, even if they don't yeah. exist in their immediate sphere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and look to those people or, or find mentors. 
I think one of the reasons I even had the role that I have today is because I had a sponsor at work. You know, I had someone who recognized the the abilities that I had very early on. And she took me along for the ride. And she, you know, every major meeting she had, every major project that she was on, I was just kind of invited to it. Like I honestly, for the first few weeks, just kind of sat there and listened in, but I was invited to basically everything she did. I followed her around for a few weeks, but even just my presence, right? Like me physically being in the room for a meeting or me being on a call communicated some level of credibility to people. And it's because she saw that in me. So it's, it's always nice to have those people who you work well with, who maybe have a slightly more experience than you to really leverage that and help each other out in that way. And was that from your internship? No, that was when I was um, an entry-level employee slightly over a year ago. And I, so the current role that that I'm in now is a manager role. And when I got this role, actually, when I was going for this role, I didn't even think of it. I was applying to something else. I was applying to another sort of individual contributor role. And the woman who was interviewing me was sort of my skip level manager. And she kind of stopped me in the middle of the interview. And she was like, you don't want this role. And I looked at her. I was like, what are you talking about? Did I just completely bomb this interview? And she was like, no, your answers are leadership answers. You're not giving me answers that align with this role. You're giving me answers that communicate to me that you want to be a leader. So why don't you apply for that instead? And what were some of those answers? Well, you know, it's a more finance research role that yeah. I was applying for. And so yeah. my answers were, were more about, I want this elevated position. I want to communicate with these new stakeholders. These people use our products in this way. I want to understand that. And she was like, that's what a, that's what a manager does. So she asked me to apply for that role. And my response was, can I even do that? I'm so new. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, who's telling you you can't? She's like, I'm your manager and I'm telling you you can, so just go do it. <laughs> so yeah, again, like having that sponsor, if she didn't call me out in that way, I don't think I would have applied as quickly. Yeah. I think I, I've always known I wanted to be a leader, but I would have waited longer. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Yeah. So, you know, what I'm, I'm, I'm thinking is if someone doesn't have the gem of someone like that in their yeah. lives, to, to be looking and creating opportunity on one's own or finding or reaching out to someone like her and bouncing ideas off of the, the, the people you work with or the person above you. You know, it can go both ways. You, you, you've been very fortunate with people extending Absolutely. their hand, but you, one can also extend their own hand. And, and fabulous, too, that you were agile enough, though, to pivot. You know, you were in an interview for one job and you, you're, you were open Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things where because I had her support, it made it easier to do. It didn't seem like something that I was doing out of my own bounds. And to your point earlier about, you know, if someone doesn't have that sort of proactive sponsor at work or at school, there are so many resources, I think, around you now that people don't even really think about them as resources. Like we've kind of like the amount of resources is so large that it's saturated. I feel there's so for example, A lot of people are in like clubs or extracurricular activities, whether that's in school or outside of school or even, you know, when they're working full time. And some of those people in my life have been the guiding figures for me as well. Whether it's like an advisor for a club, I'm thinking of an example where, you know, I'm also a part-time dancer, 
And I have a very, very close friend, a roommate actually now, who is a full-time dancer. She, she owns a dance school um, and dances for a living. So she's completely removed from the corporate world, like does nothing that I do um, for a living. And she gives me some of the best advice on setting boundaries and setting expectations for people and sort of like upholding that work-life balance that I, that I came to Bloomberg for. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm able to to balance a lot of things because I run some of that that advice and that questioning by her. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like having just the ear of someone who you can be honest with, and and who yeah. will be honest in return with their feedback. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so here you you are in this managerial role, and just explain a bit what the job was before you moved into it, and then I'd love to have a taste of what your days are like now. Yeah. So the role before this, when I was what we call a market data analyst, I was covering that same equities data that I mentioned earlier. So financial reports for pharmaceutical companies, specifically specialty pharmaceutical companies. So at the time, there were a lot of medical marijuana companies going public and having IPOs and and trading on the stock market for the first time. So I was covering a lot of their data. So My day-to-day at that point was kind of quality checking the data that was being released by those companies, onboarding them onto the system, and then working on fun projects um, that really had an impact to our business, such as, you know, pharmaceutical companies sell drugs. And so the lifespan of a drug, right? I learned a lot about healthcare, actually, by covering pharmaceutical companies. The lifespan of a drug from when it's first in research and development to when it's in clinical trial to when it gets approved to when the patent ends can have a large effect on its financial performance. So I worked on projects to train our news team at Bloomberg on how to leverage some of that when writing news stories. What, what kind of made you happy to go to work in those days? Honestly, it was... The project management that I was doing, so I went from contributing to those types of projects to over time leading them and helping my peers write similar news stories, contribute to automated solutions around some of those things. So that was what really, I don't know, intrigued me. It felt like I was having an impact larger than myself, even at just being an analyst, which is also kind of how I knew I always wanted to be in leadership. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and it's also, I think, my manager was very supportive of me kind of like going off on my own a little bit. She, she trusted me a lot to get, you know, the bread and butter of our roles done and done well um, because I had proven it. Because in the first few months of my role, I kept my head down. I learned, I asked good questions and I did the role and I did it well. And so because of that, about three or four months in, she was like, yeah, cool. You want to go work on this fun project with a completely different business area? Go for it, right? It's only going to, it's only going to benefit us. She knew I wouldn't sacrifice the day-to-day. The work ethic in the beginning really gained her trust and allowed you more latitude. Absolutely. I think that's really important. A lot of people struggle with that as well, like having that work ethic in the beginning and just learning the workflows, understanding why things happen the way they do, questioning things, but also really learning. I think people sometimes want to get involved in fun, cool, you know, flashy projects a little bit too early. And because of that, they really miss out on the opportunity to be an expert in their workflows and in their areas. And so, yeah, in my current role now, my days are packed. 
I'm in a lot of meetings. So my day can look like anything from a few one-on-ones with the, with a few people on my team discussing their projects and their deliverables and their careers in general to managing the production of work that our department works on. And recently, because of the coronavirus, a lot of my day has been spent business continuity planning, making sure my team has monitors and computers and that their home situations are are good enough that they can work and be productive. And if they're not allowing them the space to deal with what they need to deal with and finding other resources and other ways to keep the lights on at work. Yeah, so so very varied. What part of it is the part that just like really makes you sing? Honestly, it's the context switching. I know most people really don't like context switching and it, it, it slows people down often. And I totally understand that because I feel it sometimes myself. But for me, it's it's the exciting part. Like I love the feeling after a really busy day of meetings kind of all over the place of like looking at my to-do list that came out of those meetings and being like, wow, like I have a lot to do, but it's because I had productive conversations with a diversity of people. And I maybe advised someone on their career somewhere or someone advised me in another area and I pushed a project along. Like it feels to me it's kind of like getting your hands dirty. Like this, some sometimes like the satisfaction people feel in like knitting or planting or cooking of like actually getting getting your hands in something and doing something. That's how I feel about productive meetings. Um, yeah, well, I'm so, like it's a creative space for you because it almost it not almost it seems to ask you, okay, well, what now? Yeah, exactly. And it sets off this whole new kind of idea run for you to chase after and make happen. Exactly. And I think the fun part of it all, the like best part of it all is when you can connect the dots. So like the best day is when I randomly have a meeting in the morning to talk about one project. And then sometime in the afternoon, someone asks me about something completely unrelated, but I can use an idea from the morning to advise them later in the afternoon, not even, you know, not related at all. That's when I'm like, wow, that was a really successful day because not only did, you know, good project deliverables and good work come out of those meetings, but I was able to leverage the knowledge that came out of one place and and transfer it somewhere else. And made, now maybe that person will continue to transfer it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the whole point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, yeah. I mean, you use knitting. I'm thinking of weaving. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what type of person, like what are some traits about yourself or likes um, or skills, you know, that would be like equally suited for this that other people might share, have in common? Honestly, I think it's someone who's willing to just question the status quo and is analytical. So someone who can equally, you know, take a step back and say, why are we doing something that way? Why is the strategy going that way instead of this way? Um, but then also to prove their point, get into the weeds and deal with large data sets or, you know, really dig into a workflow or really understand the way a certain client is using something to then to then really have a solid case for why we should run a business a certain way, right? It's nothing like truly when I do interviews, the recruiters ask me, what skills are you looking for? And it's not even like, it's not finance skills. It's not tech skills. It's like that stuff we can teach and we can learn. If you come in with that phenomenal, your training programs may be a week or two shorter, right? But it's about the grit and the analytical skills. And those things are hard to measure, but they come, but they come with a certain like passion and interest and just like love for, for working on something you really enjoy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also hearing you say someone who has the ability to see like the meta view from high up, 
Yeah. But also enjoys tinkering. Yeah, precisely. And you used a good word earlier of, of someone who's agile, right? Someone who's able to do both of those things, take a step back as well as get into the weeds, is able to pivot quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever I interview people, for example, I always ask scenario-based questions. So Yeah, like what would one be? Yeah, so I, I ask, you know, to tell me a time about when you had to work in a group, whether it's a project or a team or whatever it may be, and one person or two people were just really holding you back. Like you couldn't meet your deliverable. Someone wasn't holding their weight. They said they would do something and they didn't. Like talk to me about how you managed that situation. And I think like it's a very simple question. But what I look for there is the ability for someone to, one, take a step back and try to understand why is this person not really holding their weight, right? Is there something going on? Am I not communicating well? Is there something I should be doing differently? But then also get in the weeds and say, all right, what are the actual things we need to get done here? And who has the skills to do them? And let's just get it done. And I think if you're able to get that to some level, to me, that's someone who can be successful in the kind of role that I have because you're able to to just take what you're given and make it work. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. And yeah, other interview advice, like anything you thought you did well as you interviewed for positions or that you see people do or don't do when you're interviewing? Honestly, a major red flag for me is when someone doesn't have questions. I, I don't know. I think, I think it's something where I want people who are inquisitive. And if you're applying for a new role, whether you know a lot about that role or not, you're not really in it. So you've got to have something that you're curious about. I also, and this is just a personal thing, I don't know if all interviewers will agree with me, but I personally like it when people are able to connect outside of work experiences to something that the interviewer or interviewee is talking about. So I like it when people are like, oh, I actually just read a book about that, or I read an article about that, or I watched a documentary, or, you know, a family member was telling me about this, because it, it, to me, speaks to your ability to, like I mentioned earlier, connect the dots and really make connections and have analytical skills uh, and be invested in the things that we are talking about in the moment. Yeah, um, so you're saying breath and, and for someone to be thoughtful about just what they're experiencing. Exactly. And any just like bombs that you have to, you've been very successful, congratulations. <laughs> but you know, any, any like, oh gosh, whoops, that was really, I can't believe I did that or wish I hadn't. Absolutely, so many. <laughs> so in, in my current role, I keep track of a lot of deliverables. So on a daily basis, I'm looking at, did my team meet their targets on project A? What about project B? Did our department overall meet our targets on project A or B? And a mistake that I early on repeatedly made was setting targets based on what I thought people could do, not based on testing and reality and asking people and understanding the complexity of different types of work and what other work people have going on. I would do a task or two myself and be like, cool, it took me 30 minutes. Every task is going to take 30 minutes, right? And we're going to set our targets based on that and we're going to kill it. But I, I was initially very bad at kind of like taking other people's opinions and experiences into account in a business setting. I think I was good at like emotionally, like having that emotional intelligence and conversations when it came to a business setting. Like I I wasn't able to like marry the two together. I have since learned the hard way by missing many, many targets. But now, right, like that's the first thing I think of because I've been burned so many times by, by not meeting a deliverable that I promised to because of that. So yes. And so, and some humility too, right. And that, and 
I'm hearing the, the gift of just acknowledging that mistake and, and not letting it persist, but using it to learn. And you've used the word pivot before. You, you pivoted once yeah. you figured out that mistake. Absolutely. I think it comes down to like, just because you do something a certain way or within a certain amount of time or because you think it's the right way to do something doesn't mean that those around you will agree. Even if you're the person that's kind of holding the power in the situation. And if you can't motivate the people around you or get the buy-in of the people around you to do it a certain way, then it's just not going to happen. Like you can tell people to meet targets all you want, but it's not going to happen if you don't take their opinions into account. Yeah. And so, and moving forward with your team, like what are some goals you have for yourself, not in terms of, you know, numbers or, you know, or your deliverables, but you know, you as a leader, what are you, what are you trying to create there? In the next few months specifically, I really want to focus on diversity and diversity of, you know, of everything, of gender, ethnical background, but also diversity of thought, diversity of knowledge, diversity of skills, of interests. I really want to invest in the people who I don't really get or click with. I want to invest more in those people because I'm starting to realize that just because one way is successful doesn't mean it's the successful way. Um, And that's definitely a growth area for me as a manager in general. Yeah, well, and I feel like one of the reasons you're attracted to this leadership role is that there's so much here for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm someone who like likes to like move quickly. But once I got this role, I was like, all right, I could be here for a while. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a lot to learn. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like there's a lot there for you. And you're really taking advantage and and being adventurous in it. And yeah, what do you think makes you successful as a leader? Yeah, I think... um, you know, we, we recently had our year-end reviews, which at Bloomberg is like a very formal process. And my manager mentioned something that I never thought of that way, but makes sense. I think what makes me successful is that I don't have blockers. So she mentioned it in the context of like, yeah, there's areas that you can grow in, of course, and there's areas that you didn't do so well in. But she said she wasn't worried about it because it's not like I indicated that I couldn't learn. It's not that like I indicated that I couldn't do it. If I failed at something, I acknowledged it and I learned from it and I took the feedback well and I moved on. And I, again, coming back to pivoting, I think that has made me successful and will continue to make me successful as I, as long as I continue to invest in that. Yeah, I hear a, a lack of defensiveness and a lack of, you know, trying to hide or look better than you are. Yeah, I think actually that's an important thing to mention. We mentioned earlier that confidence is what has made me successful, but then now we're talking about how humility has made me successful. And I think often the two get taken for like completely opposite things. Um, Like you can't be humble and be confident at the same time. And I I don't know, I just like really disagree with that Um, because like I mentioned, being confident is kind of what I've learned throughout my whole life, everyone in my family has been like business owners, has managed teams. Like it's just the way I am. Um, But being humble is something that I've had to learn because when I did get this manager position, I was, I had a very short tenure and I didn't know as much about the product as everyone else because I didn't spend enough time, you know, learning it. I'd only been in that role for a year and like all these things where where I was kind of forced to be like, all right, Karishma, like, 
you have a lot to learn here. All these people know better than you do. Just listen. And I think the combination of the two over the past year or so, um, able to like find my identity and find my certain style and my niche and just the way about I like just kind of perform and be at work. It is the combination of those two things. Beautifully said. And anything that you would want to pass on like to people who are who are listening and they're beginning their job search, probably feeling nervous, uncertain, maybe even what career to pick, but also just like, oh my gosh, like, is this going to happen for me? Like this, this woman I'm listening to, Karishma, seems just like lucky her. Like, I'm, you know, like, is there anything yeah. to demystify about the job search when you're in college or, you know, soon after you've graduated? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we talked a lot about like my my job and my career and like confidence and whatnot. But one thing we didn't mention is when I was applying for that Bloomberg internship, like, yes, I applied with, I was deliberate about it, right? Like I heard a conversation. I was like, let me go look this up. And I liked it. But I also applied to literally, I still remember the exact number, 35 other places and Bloomberg was the only offer I got. I, I just, you know, no matter who you are or what like intent you have, sometimes it's just, it, it's, it's hard. <laughs> like you can, I, and I also, same thing happened with college. I applied to like 15 colleges and I only got into Rutgers. But yeah, I think the demystifying part is sometimes you can hear these stories of how successful people are in their careers or how happy or the cool things they're doing. And you don't hear that part of like, Oh no, like part of this was kind of luck and just, you know, good faith and yeah, interest, but I didn't hear back from anywhere else. And I trusted that if I heard back from Bloomberg and I was probably most interested in it, like, yeah, it's probably a good place to be. Right. And you've just got to try and experiment, I think is the big thing. And what do you do for fun? I mean, it sounds like work is fun for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is, I just love the, the, the sense I get of that. And you, you mentioned dance. Yeah. I've been dancing since I was seven years old. And I basically haven't stopped at all ever since. I actively dance for fun. I dance at least like three, maybe four times a week. It is quite literally my stress relief. Being in meetings all day long, speaking to people, I love it, as I mentioned. But it can be exhausting. And so having sort of that physical release where I don't necessarily need to speak to people, but I can still express is very Your body, like leaving that analytical mind. Yes, exactly. And what kind of dance do you do? So I grew up doing Bollywood and a little bit of Indian classical dance. And now I, I do, I still do Bollywood a lot, but I do a lot of hip hop and sort of street styles. Cool. Yeah. Really cool. And how has your dance informed your work? Oh, it's funny you ask that because I, I did a presentation on this when I was an intern. So basically I talk a lot about Bloomberg's flexible culture and transparency and all of that stuff, Right. And I feel the same way about dance. And so I, anyway, I did this whole presentation when I was an intern, and I think it still holds true where, you know, at Bloomberg or really any innovative firm per se, you're really just experimenting and you're trying things and you build and like swarm around this and like really work as a team to get this stuff done. And being a dance company feels literally exactly the same, except with your body. And so when you're creating choreography for a show or you're rehearsing for a big video or, you know, you're a dance teacher and all your students have like seven dances they've got to learn, you know, it feels the same. And it's where the mindset is, hey, everyone, all hands on deck. We all know we're all passionate about this. Let's just really come together and do what we love and get this done because it's, it's what we want to do at the end of the day. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be rough, but we all love it. Yeah. Um, 
And so I think my career and my, and my stress relief, let's call it dance, feel the same sort of in that way where it's about swarming, it's about being supportive for each other, kind of abandoning titles and hierarchies and roles and just doing what you have to do to get it done. And I, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking back to when you said you interview people and you like to know what else is going on in their life or what have they read and you like to see the connections they make. And it's, it's um, good for them to think about that things they do in their life or have done in their life can be very applicable to the jobs they're applying for. And oftentimes give you a unique perspective that if that does, if you do allow that to shine through in an interview setting, you know, if someone mentioned to me that they were an artist or, you know, they played professional basketball in college or something like that in an interview, I would hang on to that and I would ask about it. I'm interested, right? And I'm interested to exactly what you asked me. How does that inform your work? Why did you decide to do that? Why come into data analytics now, right? I, it's a conversation starter and I think it helps communicate just that you're personable and, and that you are a joy to work with. All right. Well, anything else you'd like to add before we close? No, I'm good. This was, this is fun. I've never done this before. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a treat for me, really. I just, you know, I'm, I'm in just admiration of all that you've done and, and what you're up to and just that rich thought life that you have around, you know, what, what you do. So yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. I know others, others will as well. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to Just Ahead. Be sure to rate and subscribe our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about me, visit my website at www.agoodlife.coach or follow me on Instagram at agoodlife.coach. Join us again next week to hear more folks share the practical and inspirational around their working lives post-college.